You're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars podcast with Nefa Ahoy, a show that shares the stories of successful Africans in business and how they did it. It's our story told our way to inspire our people. This podcast is sponsored by IDS Consultant Ghana Limited, a company dedicated to supporting small and medium-sized enterprises with accounting and business advisory services at an affordable rate. Visit www.idsconsultantga.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Africa's Business Rockstars with me, Nefa Ahoy. Now today, you may have heard of the Scripps Spelling Bee USA, but what you probably don't know is that Ghana has been an active participant in this for the past 13 years. You'd agree with me that this is no mean feat and definitely requires a determined and ambitious individual. Her name is Eugenia Teshimensen and she's our guest today on Africa's Business Rockstars. Hello, Eugenia. Hi, Nafa. It's good to be here. So we're going to have a very interesting conversation. Let's delve into your childhood, because I'm sure this has had some influence on the woman you are today. Definitely. So what was it like growing up? Well, I grew up in a home where both parents were diplomats and educators. Both of them attributed their success, and I put that in quotes, to education. I grew up with no TV, for example. Entertainment was books, reading. We hated our parents for that because it almost felt like punishment. You know, you go to school and everybody's talking about the latest show, Cosby Show, and you're just nodding along because you're like, God, I don't even know what they're talking about. But little did we know that it was going to be the foundation to who we all become today. So I finished primary school and English language and literature were my strongest subjects. My father kept saying, you're going to be someone who'll be reading the arts. I, I didn't make much of it. Then I got to boarding school and that became my savior because I was an avid reader. And again, because my parents were who they were, we read a lot of uh, journals, Newsweek, Time Magazine. At the age of what? primary school age so between ages say you know nine and 13 see why i say i hate my parents (laughs) (laughs) but when i got to secondary school boarding school that was when all that i had read came to play Mm. both socially Mm. and academically this was in maoli right this was in maoli school so i did my secondary education in maoli school okay i became the more favored that my seniors wouldn't want to punish me okay because i enunciate very well mm. so whenever that we had to go and read or do anything so oh, call that girl who knows how to say the national anthem very well <laughs> and then come and entertain them sing the national anthem say the national pledge um and then a few other things poems that they couldn't remember the words for like law peter law they're like what are the real words i'm like they're drop it i drop it <laughs> so i became that girl who entertained just for the fun of it right um but obviously, so it gave me stronger grades right, in, in, in right. the space of English and uh, literature. So, so Yuji, just to be absolutely clear, you're saying there was no TV for you to watch as a kid growing up in your house, right? So there was a physical TV. Yeah. You just couldn't watch it. So not even the news. By news time, you were supposed to be in bed. That's during the week. And then weekends, you might catch the yeah. local news. So yes, we would get to watch the news, but that was it. How long did this last for? This probably carried on till past primary school initially made us feel that our parents didn't love us every other kid had it but my mother you know every now and then would say you know how they say it's in your own interest and yeah like, what kind of interest because i get to school and i can't contribute so right i look back today and i think that maybe if she had done more explaining how it is a distraction because i think that was the point that right my parents right. were trying to make that it was a distraction you did primary school at ridge yes and then you moved into Maui. Yes. Let's talk about secondary school and in Maui. You right. ended up studying the arts like your parents predicted. Yes. What was yes. that like for you? 
it was a natural path okay. for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, 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 it was evident the subjects I was stronger in. So I love, I love languages. Okay. So I was stronger in languages, so I ended up doing French. I did a bit of German, and I enjoyed that. Mm. I will be honest with mm. you. I totally enjoyed it. If I found myself in a business class or a science class or a fine art class, yeah. I probably would have struggled. After Maoli, then yes. what? Straight into professional life? So after Maoli, I did my sixth form, and then I had to do my national service. Okay. You had to do national service where you entered tertiary right. institution. So it was during my national service that I was sent to Trifu Himai in the Praso district. I remember that very well. It was only about an hour from Cape Coast, Okay. but the roads were terrible, and there was just one car that went there. So if you missed the car, you had to find somewhere in Cape Coast to sleep. I chose to go and serve in the central region because I wanted my independence. I didn't know what I had signed up for. I didn't know that I was virtually going into a community which was nothing like I, I had experienced. So right. no electricity. Right. So the no watching of TV came in handy. Reading was my thing. I adjusted mm. easily to that. There were no proper bathrooms mm. and what have you not. I hadn't experienced it before, but one thing my mother always said to me that if others are doing it and they haven't died yet, <laughs> you can do you it. You can do it yeah. too. Yeah. So I, I must give it to my parents. Our parents kept us grounded. Right. So right. you are no better than the person who uses any other kind of facility that is different from yours right. um, so right. long as it doesn't kill them right so, so what I, did you do in um, Cape Coast for national service so for my national service I, I was a teacher I was teaching <laughs> English and I was thrown into class six I struggled but why is that mainly because most of the students who were in class six were not fluent in their language Okay. And teachers were teaching in Fante. Okay. I speak Fante, mm. but I can't teach in it. I right. can't teach English in Fante. I, right. I'm not sure how that's done. You how did say, you overcome that? So I spoke to the headmaster. I asked that he give me a younger class. Okay. Uh, like class one, mm. class two. And then all we did was read. So mm. I'll read to them or read with them. And then we sing songs and we learn songs. They were not very fluent in the language, mm. but... Because at that level, it was basic English command language yeah. that you were using. It made it easier to communicate. And we did a lot of song singing and we did a lot of... When you're reading, um, you know, you, you tend to draw a picture with your words. Children like that. And again, I wasn't really teaching. Mm. I was really just having a good time for me. <laughs> but they were sure. having a good time too. Yeah. And so that's how I survived it. That's how I overcame it. So during my national service day, so as I was doing this work, I met a cobbler. My mm. shoes had come off and I, I had to find a cobbler. And he spoke very good English. So I, I asked why he was cobbling and not in school. So he explained he lived with his half-blind grandmother who was looking after him through junior high but mm. can't see him through senior high. He had eight ones and was cobbling. And I thought, no, this cannot be accepted. So I said I was going to help him. When I was coming to Trifo Himayin to do my service, I had heard of Joy FM. It mm. was just started. And I said, okay, I'll go to Joy FM and tell your story. He wanted to go to Mfansipum. And I, my father was an old boy of Mfansipum school. And he used to brag about that school to no end. He actually convinced me that I was going to be the first girl to be a Mfansipum school girl. <laughs> so I, I knew it was, a, it was a good school. And right. I said, I know of so many Mfansipum old boys. And I'm sure if we told the boy's story, we will get help. Right. So I came down to Accra and uh, asked to have an interview at Joy FM and I was granted. They listened to my story, I was granted. And before the interview was over, mm. he was sorted. Someone picked up his school fees for the three years he was going to be in school. Someone picked up his groceries for the three years. It was just a done deal. After the interview, on my way out, the business development manager at Joy FM approached me and said, I, I think you speak very well and 
would you like to have a career in radio? I said, I won't mind, but I have to go and finish my national service. So he said, okay, you go and come back and let's see. So I finished my national service and came back, um, interned for about three months, mm. um, and then Joy FM took me on. And yes. it was from there that I went to uh, Institute of Journalism. Did your um, radio <coughs> job at Joy FM influence you selecting GIJ? Not actually. Okay. I didn't think so because, again, I hadn't even chosen journalism. Okay. I had chosen public relations. Okay. But get this. The, uh, it wasn't the rector. I think it was whoever was responsible for admissions said to me that my grades in English were too strong to be a PR practitioner. I should be a journalist. I'm like, I don't understand the reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they insisted. So I offered journalism because I just wanted to go back to school. So right. I offered it. And it came into play. It came into play whilst I was at Joy FM. I did a bit of live radio. I hosted a few shows. I did a bit of a cosmopolitan mix. I did lunchtime rhythms. And then after that, I moved into the typical PR, which was events. When you're studying journalism in uh, GIJ, you did a bit of PR. So I, I had a practical feel of what I, I had wanted to study. Right. So all in all, it went well. So you actually went back to your original plan, that yes, is to say. Eventually. Y yeah. Yes. Moving on from PR in journalism, what's your next step? Like, what are you thinking? What are you brewing in your mind? Initially, I thought to just take a hiatus. I, okay. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just said, I'm tired. Because um, Joy FM was like new radio and we were working 24 7, literally. Yeah. We were not sleeping. And you did this for how long? Seven At Joy. Years. Oh, wow. Seven straight years. Okay. Yeah, and it was tiring. And so I'd gone to a point in life where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I took a hiatus. So I first went to the States mm. um, and I was just idling, really. And then I got a call from a friend who said, Look, eh, time is not on your side. You know, do you want to go to school? I was like, I think I want to. So eventually I settled on marketing communications, okay. which had a bit of PR in it. And so I came back to London. I went to a private college called Martron College in okay. Holborn. And I studied my marketing, marketing. communications there. Right. And whilst there, I began to fall in love with PR. So I, I'd always known I wanted PR. And I fell in love with PR all over again because especially in the UK, PR is way bigger than it is here. Here is treated as a department. In the UK, it's treated like a lifestyle. Right. You know, you, you are a walking PR machine for yourself sort of uh, attitude. I remember my PR lecturer got me my last job in the UK at uh, BMW, and it was one of the best jobs I've ever Why would you say on. that? It was the experience that it gave me. BMW is a premium brand, and so the kinds of standards that had to be maintained. BMW was responsible for Jaguar as well. As an employee, you had to be off a high caliber mm. to be allowed mm. to address a Jaguar driver. Right. Or let me know, a Jaguar owner. owner. We don't yeah. say driver, sorry. <laughs> a Jaguar owner. And then the other one was Rolls Royce. Yeah. Rolls Royce was like, it was, it was a preserve of angels. Yeah. It was only angels who spoke to Rolls Royce car owners. But it was those kinds of things that made me understand what PR and branding really is. Yeah. I mean, it's beyond a service. It's beyond an identity. It's living it. And I, I totally enjoyed the experience. It, it gave me a foundation to my coming back. When I came back into Ghana, I had to work with a car company. All right, Yuji. So you moved to London, mm -hmm. right, to further your education mm -hmm. and then land a job, you know, at Premier Brands, mm -hmm. managing Premier Brands. And then you pack bag and baggage and decide to come back home. Right. <laughs> yes. And you land your first job at Chatterhouse, yes. a renowned company still very much alive in Ghana. Very much yes. so. What was that transition like? I was ready to come back home and I didn't know where to enter from. Okay. So I just reached out and said, look, you know, I, I want a place to sort of start off. And so 
my friends at Chatterhouse said, sure, why not? Yeah. Come and let's work. And what were you doing at Chatterhouse? So I was in the events department. Okay. So we were, you know, managing events. As you know, Chatterhouse is an events company. We we're just running events um, and managing events. And I did that for a year. Moved on to PHC Motors. I loved the idea that I was going to work with a car company again. Right. Because my, my former experience was great. It was a different experience. So it wasn't as bougie <laughs> as, as my former experience was but it grounded me what was the difference the average person could come in and buy a regular car mm. as a first-time owner that was the strategy to try and get people to now want to own a brand new car as right. opposed to buying a second hand so i think that was a good thing the challenges that I found there were not unique to the, the organization. Okay. They were typical Ghanaian challenges. So okay. it was very attitudinal. We don't stick to time. We don't deliver on time. We're not communicative when there's a problem. We don't communicate. And right. so it escalates tensions, bottom line. I literally just come from the UK where the opposite was the norm. So it was a challenge for me in situations where someone is expecting their car Monday morning and... As of Friday, your colleagues have told you it's ready. So Monday, you're about to call the client and your colleagues are, oh, wait, we didn't check this. It's going to take another three days. And you have to go and listen to the customer upset. And you are dealing with such situations on a daily basis. I said, it wasn't unique to the car company. It was an yeah. attitudinal challenge here. So I did that for a year. No, I actually did that for six months, sorry. <laughs> After six months, I was going to be confirmed for a year. Hmm. So in my sixth month, which was December of 2007, I had to go and sit with HR and do my review. PHC uh, Motors is a car company, so it came with a car. You know, my role came with a car. I was marketing manager. So I went into HR, you know, just ready to sign on the dotted line, and I yeah. was told, sorry, I'm not gonna hire you. This was about uh, probably a week to Christmas. Wow. So we needed to hand in the car, and um, let's say our goodbyes. Wow. Just like that. Wow, how did you I take didn't that? See, oh, I, I broke down. I didn't see it coming. There was no, what, what, what was the reason? The reason I was given then was that our visions were not aligning. I can see what that meant because I was working from a premium brand experience and right. also from a Western experience. And I needed probably to lower standards in order <laughs> right. that things could get. Yes, I clashed a lot with people and that was because I wanted things done a certain way. But I didn't think it would end in that. So the first thing I could think of was ask that, look, can you give me 48 working day hours? Mm. So can I keep the car over the weekend till Tuesday right. and I'll bring it back to you? I just needed to gather myself. So driving back home, crying, because against my mother's advice, mm. I came down. My mm. mother said, this country cannot contain you. Mm. You've become this very principled, almost Western person. You mm. will not fit in here if you don't lower your standards. And I said, what are you talking about? I grew up in Ghana. I can do it. So the weight of that, where my mother's words had come true, and the fact that I had no job, it wasn't part of my plan. I had some life savings, but it wasn't my plan to spend it immediately. Weighed me down so much that I was driving, I was crying. I'd stopped through the post office to pick up my letters, and then went home, I had a good cry, and then started opening my letters. And one of them was from Script Spelling Bee. Oh. And when I was in the uh, UK studying, I had come across the Script Spelling Bee competition. I had watched it and I was very enthralled with it. I noticed that it was open to English-speaking countries around the world, but there was no African country in it. And I thought, why not? So I checked them out and I noticed it was open to English-speaking countries around the world. Mm. So I emailed them and I said, well, I'm Ghanaian and I would love to bring this uh, franchise to Ghana. So they said, well, fill an application, do this and then the other and we'll come back to you. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I said, let me do it anyway. And yeah. I forgot about it. That's why I didn't even mention it. 
So when on this day that I was fired, you know, gotten home, finished crying, had my bath, reading through the letters, and I saw that letter, I cried all over again. <laughs> but this time it was for a good reason. It was mixed because like, how am I going to do this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a job. <laughs> Who am I going to talk to? Um, but when I calmed down, I saw that it was a silver lining. I yes, saw that definitely. I had always wanted to work with children because again, as a hobby, when I was young, I used to read with children and play with children. So I took it in my stride. Fortunately, my experience in radio came back to play. Mm. So I spoke to Joy FM. I spoke to Anita Eskin, was then working at Tigo. So she sponsored the program. Joy FM gave me some airtime. A friend at Fidelity Bank gave us funding, and an airline also gave us tickets. So I was good to run a show. Now, here I was thinking, this program is going to be like the most sought after that in five years, I probably will have to sell the brand off to somebody because it's going to be the hottest. And every school kept slamming their doors in my face. Like, are you mad? <laughs> Script spelling be the brand. You have the franchise. I'm like, here's the letter. They're like, no way. Nobody believes you. Get this. Not even the U.S. Embassy in Accra believed me. Wow. Even when I shared the letter and everything, nobody believed it was possible. I remember the, the cultural affairs officer at the U.S. Embassy back then uh, this was in 2008, go, um, would love to support you. Because I, I wanted their support. I wasn't asking for money. I just yeah. wanted their support. It's an American brand. Yeah. And they go, we'll support you when we see you run the first show. <laughs> and then she told me in confidence, you do know that this is a very old program and it, it, it's a tr an American tradition and it takes a lot of money to run. And I said, <laughs> I know. I'll start small. So just like... You know, the lady had told you script spelling be demanded a lot of money, yes. a lot of time, dedication, yes. Yes. and you said you would start small. Yes. So how did you start? Small. <laughs> so I literally run the spelling bee from my car with one volunteer. We went to about maybe 30 schools and only six agreed to participate. So our first spelling bee started with 30 children. We eventually had a winner. I presented the winner to the U.S. Embassy. They came to the program okay let me take you back a sure. few steps sure so you need to get schools to participate that's basically how it works yes right you need schools yeah and then you need to get a winner to represent ghana yes okay to go and represent ghana at the u.s um, yes. a competition yes yes but how did you so in terms of venue getting the kids training them all of that how did all of that happen okay yeah so Getting the kids was done through the school. We couldn't train them because we were already working against the clock. Our timelines were tight. We had to finish by Easter and I had started working January and Easter was, I think, April. April. So there was nothing for training. So there were resources, though, that they could use to prepare. So every school that signed up, we gave the resources to them to give to their children. So in-school training was what happened. We were not responsible for the training right in terms of venue and getting an mc and what have you not what goes into event management the sponsorship i got from tigo yeah. was able to cover that yeah. so i think we held it at british council okay. uh, hall in accra with 30 students from the six schools my pronouncers were francesa demola of the loom okay uh brigitte jogwenuku and then my judge was um, How did you get those people? So Mrs. Ademola was my class four teacher in Richard School. So, I mean, the one thing that has worked for me in my career is my networking. Yeah. I, I keep yeah. relationships, and yeah. that's what worked. Kweku Sechiado, I worked with at Joy FM. Brigitte Jogbanuku, I didn't mention, but she was my chaperone when I was 
participating in Miss Ghana in 1997. Mm. It's, it's a part of my life that I really don't <laughs> talk about. That's, the, that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> another day. So that's how I met them and that's how I worked, um, used my relationship as right. it were. And they right. all loved the idea that one, it was children, it was literacy as well, and they would do anything for it. Right. We had the first competition and the winner emerged. And we were to go to the U.S. to represent. The first time any African country was ever being represented. Mm-hmm. The winner was from SOS School. Her name was, her name still is Maria Kubabom. Okay. Isabel Kubabom. We used to call her Maria. She's now Isabel Kubabom. So we went on to the U.S. Now, before we left for the U.S., there was drama. Yes. So <laughs> then it was North American Airlines who was sponsoring us. And I think three weeks to our departure, they had folded up. And we're leaving the country. And because, obviously, we were not fee-paying, they didn't owe us anything. Right. But I proved to them that they could not pull out. <laughs> so they had to get us tickets. So yeah. they got us tickets on another airline. But that wasn't without <laughs> hustle. Yeah. Three weeks to go to the U.S. It, it wasn't easy. But when we got to the U.S., it was all, it was all evident to us now. It wasn't just a spelling program. Mm. No. It was a lifestyle. You had to be a reader to be a part of this. What makes you say that? Because it's about words Mm. and you can only find words in a book. When we were growing up, we were told you find words in a dictionary. That's not correct. (laughs) You look up words in a dictionary. You need to find the word to go look it up. So you need to be a reader. The kinds of words that the children were spelling were not your everyday words. And you can only find such words because you are an avid reader. Yeah. For example, we were armed with our local newspapers, our junior graphic, and we got there, and there were eight-year-olds reading Time magazine. And that's uh-huh. when we realized, no, we came to the battlefield holding a fork. <laughs> when, everybody else was, when everybody else was holding a gun. You know. How did that make you feel? Because, you know, you sort of finally achieved the dream yes people telling you this is not gonna happen you had doors slammed in your face and then you're finally there how did that make you feel when we got there i still was in mixed feelings it was like a pyrrhic victory so a pyrrhic victory is where you've won something but it was so tiring that you it's almost celebrate. pointless like i was saying yeah. three weeks before we were fighting an airline an yeah. international airline to give us our tickets so really by the time we got there we were drained you know so it was more of let's focus on what we can do the hotel arrangements we made for example were also messed up i was downtown away from them we couldn't communicate right but what worked for us the minute isabel got on stage mm. we became the news mm. Because this was the first time an African country was competing mm-hmm. and we're coming from West Africa. Mm-hmm. And that was the news. So we were on BBC, we oh, were on, interesting. Uh, you name it. We were on all the international media. And that was when my former colleague and friend, Komla Dumo, yeah. was working at the BBC, called me. Somehow he found where, where I was living. <laughs> and he called and left a message, called me back and wanted to do an interview. He was a host of a program on BBC Africa and wanted to do an interview with the the girl. And BBC Africa's program is listened to very popularly in Ghana. Okay. So before we got to Ghana, the news was all over. So it was when we got back that I started feeling, okay, I'm proving the point that this is something that we should be doing and I did the right thing. Right. Because up until... 
the, even when the competition was over, it didn't feel like I knew what I was right. doing. How did we do at the competition? Oh, we didn't the do edition. well. We didn't okay. do well. We were out by the first round. I didn't expect anything more than right. that. We, we were there to, to get your foot, get in, foot in, the in the door. Yeah, just get it in there. And we did. And and that that served as an inspiration so much so that when we got back, Indomie and who are now our title sponsors, committed to a 10-year financial relationship. Fantastic. So it served its purpose. Right. I knew there was no way we were going to play second or third or even hundredth out of 200 and something. But the fact that we had made it there and we became not just the news, but we became the muse of everybody. Mm. Oh, you're from Africa. Mm. And then we had to say, yeah, Africa is not a country. Mm. It's, a, it's a continent. They have mm -hmm. X, X number of countries right. and we're from right. here. So our spellers eventually become ambassadors. So since that first one, every speller who goes is an ambassador, learns a bit more about the continent and our country and shows that and, and displays that as well. Yeah. We want as well, whilst we are getting our children to be literate, we also want to uh, project a positive image of the African child. Right. We'll take a short break. Okay. <laughs> we are listening to Africa's Business Rockstars and our guest is Eugenia Techi-Menson. Hi there and welcome back to Africa's Business Rockstars. Our guest today is Eugenia Techi-Menson and we've been having a very interesting conversation with her. But before we continue, do something for us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Africa's Business Rockstars. So Eugenia, at this point in time where you've gone to the maiden edition for you, yes, yes not for the entire um, competition, but the maiden edition for Ghana to be a part of this, mm -hmm. you've come back home after the competition and it's sort of like the dream has become a reality, right? Yeah. Yes. From there on, I'm sure it was really easy to just get sponsors on board. Well, <laughs> I don't want to say really easy, but it was attractive. Okay. Yes, the program looked more attractive. And so when we got back, Indomie Noodles was waiting to sign a 10-year contract. And then the U.S. Embassy now they believe didn't the dream. call us. They didn't call us, but <laughs> okay. we went there okay. to prove that we came back. <laughs> and it was then that they also said, now we have their 100% support. Fantastic. So, And these um, have been your sponsors ever since? since? Yes, so since, since wow. then. Wow. They've been our two longest supporting sponsors. Wow. We've had other partners who've joined every year right. or pulled out right but yes these two have stuck with us for 13 good for 13 years 13 years what would you say have been the pivotal moments for you during this 13 year period so i'll say two stick out for me two editions of our, our program which right. is called the spelling being ghana the first would be our first year yeah so the way we made news the way we made waves not necessarily because we performed creditably but because we were there we were at the table mm -hmm. and, and that was exciting the second will be in 2016, when Ghana, again being the only African country that was competing in this international competition in the U.S., made it to the top 20. And our girl, Ifua Ansa, then a Richard School student, now she's in Achimoto School. And this was the first time ever we had gotten that far. So it meant we were doing something right. The reason it sticks out is that she made so much news when she came back home. The then Deputy Minister for Tourism organized a welcome for her at the airport. Then also the president asked that she ride with him during the 6th March parade, our Independence Day parade, okay. and light the perpetual flame with him. When the call came from the office of the president, I thought it was a joke. We're in our small corner doing our work, minding our business. But it was such an honor. These things make me happy, not for me, but the fact that 
African children are being celebrated. I've always worried about how our children are portrayed or not. I've always worried about how we don't give them platforms mm. to shine and wait until they become adults. And I just feel that it probably is one of the reasons that Africa has the challenges that we do have, mm. where we disconnect our children from our present and keep labeling them as our future when they are really with us presently. Right. And if we begin to arm them and walk side by side with them and share the stages and the platforms with them, I believe that 20, 30 years from now, my Ghanaian daughter would sit across a Nigerian son because they've met in the spelling bee before and would be able to sit at the AU table and negotiate for policies that would benefit Africa as a continent and not individual countries. This is the biggest challenge that we have as a continent where the West and any other country comes to trade with us individually. And so the bargaining power really lies with them. When we go to the EU as a country, we deal with the EU as a block. Why is that not happening in Africa? And I think it's because we don't connect early on in life, so we don't trust each other. So between 2008, which was the maiden edition for Ghana being a part of the Scripps Bill and B, to 2016, where we had Ifwa and Sa raise the flag of Ghana even higher. Yes. I'm sure between that period, you had sort of learned, you know, how to do things differently, how to prepare her, yes. et cetera, to get her to that moment. Yes. Yes. So what are some of the steps you had to ensure you took? That's a very good question because we learned the hard way that what we've been calling spelling in Ghana is not spelling, it's dictation. What's the difference? So one allows you to learn more about the word, which is spelling. Okay. The other restricts you to whatever word you're given. When we were doing dictation or what we used to call spelling tests, for example, you're given a list of words, you have to go learn them and come back and right. regurgitate them, basically. The challenge with that model is that words that are homophonous, so words that sound similar, hmm. will never be given to you. So, for example, rain. There's the rain of a king. Yes. There's the rain of a horse. And then there's the rain from the sky. For a dictation, those kinds of words will be avoided because it has to be straightforward. So it's words like go, come, yeah. hair, for, yeah. the, for example. Is it H-E-R, the pronoun? Yeah. Is it H-A-I-R, the hair on our heads? Or is yeah. it H-A-R-E, the animal? Yeah. So again, it's taken off the list. So guess what dictation does? It limits your vocabulary. Right. So that's what's happening. So we learned quickly that we need to reverse it. What script spelling be does not do is tell you how to run your program. So the more reason why every year when we go, we make sure we take as much best practices as is possible. Right. So we find out from the other spellers, how are you learning? And then we started understanding the concept of the fact that the English language is borrowed from 13 other languages. So depending on where the language comes from, it dictates how it should be spelled and pronounced. So for example, if you take the Greek alphabet, in the Greek alphabet, the letter F is not there. But the sound F is represented by a PH. So any word that has a PH in it that gives you the first sound is from Greek. So immediately you tell a child that, the recall becomes, so what words do you know? And then they begin to tell you. So immediately they understand that if I hear a word like phonology, and mm. I've never heard the word before, but I know my origins, and you tell me that it's Greek, mm. then the F I'm hearing, I know how to spell yes, it. I will exactly. not start with an F. Exactly. So these were the models we started training our teachers on, because we believe that teachers will have a multiplier effect. It means every child that comes to the teacher will learn this. Our teachers were not able to deliver. Reason is not because they are not capable. Their schools were not seeing the value 
of this program mm. because sadly our schools tend to train to pass exams we had a head of school for example ask us is spelling an examinable subject as in if you take the list of subjects that are being examined spelling is it's not, not one. a part of it but even in your biology paper if you misspell yes you get it wrong will bleed so we tried this for three years it wasn't working trying to train teachers to get them to train the children mm. and then we decided we'll train the children ourselves so that is the results which is now if we answer that yeah. um, you know about since then we've been training the children ourselves and we're now seeing the direct results where now children are getting the idea that you need to read to begin with then you need to understand how the language works there's a method to it when people say english is so confusing me my spelling bee kids and i we laugh because we say <laughs> there's a method to it if yeah. you know it even when you make mistakes, they are educated guesses as right. opposed to totally off tangent. So that has been what has worked for us and is the model that we currently have now where we train the children directly. And how do we do that? We get regular teachers to train our children after school. Okay. So it could be during Easter break or long vacation. The teachers who should be on holiday volunteer to come and train our children oh, in good. the program. And are they just training students from their schools or all the students in the program? Across the board, so all the students. So you could be a teacher from school A, but you could be training children from school B and C. So how did you move from just six schools to, how many schools do you have now participating? Uh, this year we had a little over 100. Over 100. Yes, and we had about 7,000 children to start wow. with. If you think that we had 30 to begin with. How did you get this, you know, this so, massive yes. support? So I keep saying that I owe the children of Ghana, a debt of gratitude. Mm. Why? They have carried the program. So just before the program came to Ghana, the movie Akila and yeah. the Bee had been launched and they had watched it or heard about it. We made the news with the first spelling right. in America. Right. America, the news came to Ghana. Every child wanted to be a part of it. So we may go to a school and the school will say no, but we will get to the office and we'll get, be getting phone calls from parents saying, my child says you run this program and they want to be a part of it. Right. So it's word of mouth and the faith that children have, or let me say the faith and curiosity yeah. that that kids have and the resilience because a lot of them if one for example what a lot of people don't know before she won she had tried three times wow yes <laughs> but she kept coming back i mean her mother was almost certain every year that she wasn't coming back because she was shattered yeah you know when she didn't make it she'll cry you know go home i won't do it again when it's time for enrollment she'll come back because every year she was getting better they all tend to come in thinking i will win and i think it's because we also haven't created an environment where we let our children understand it's okay that it's okay to not, not win. to win yeah. immediately yeah. especially yeah. when it's your first time this yeah. is a 13 year program in ghana if this is your first time and you don't win you haven't done anything unusual yeah. you and seven thousand other children didn't make it i don't think we've sensitized our children to that point so we see them break down yeah. but they come back because they realize I can still try and I will have experience over the other child. So these are some of the techniques that we've taught them as well. Because also in our program, the one thing you find that you may not necessarily find in other programs at primary level is that the child does all the questioning. Why is that? We want the child to engage in critical thinking. So if you've been asked to spell hair, you don't just start H-A-I-R. What if we're asking you to spell H-E-R? How would you know? By asking a question. And this goes against the grain of how our culture operates, where children are not meant to ask questions. So we're working against a lot of grains, right. but it's working. Right, right. It's working. Right. Yuji, so 13 years into running the script Spelling Bee, would you say you're making enough money to 
cover your expenditure because you know people who run businesses say if you're solely dependent on sponsorships how sustainable is this imagine one day your sponsor says i'm pulling out and then what happens to the dream so how are you able to sustain this and how have you sustained it for the past 13 years you know that actually happened right a Did sponsor it? pulled out like <laughs> a week shy of our media launch and it it took about a quarter of our budget. We had to depend on the benevolence of Ghanaians. Yeah. And Ghanaians came through. And even children were calling and donating their five CDs. Didn't want the program to go down, as it were. And that was when I realized that we needed to do everything we can to make sure that the program stayed yeah. because it was impacting lives. We started off with a similar model the Scripps has, as in we're a foundation. Yeah. So you find partners to yeah. come. For example, Indomie had committed for 10 years, a US embassy was with you. The only difference between us and Scripps is that it's in America. <laughs> Their money is weightier than ours. Yeah. Also, there was a general lack of acceptance of our programs, is what I, I call it. So. Whilst we were walking into corporate organizations and doors were slamming in our faces because people will tell us, for example, oh, I would rather use my money to build a library mm. than use it to sponsor the spelling bee because I think it's more impactful. Mm. Uh, the same person would go home and if their child told them they wanted to be in the spelling bee, would also not want their child to be in the spelling bee. So there was just a general lack of acceptance and we struggled. We really struggled for this first, I'll say seven to eight years. How were we running? Uh, we were solely dependent on funding from sponsors until the inevitable happened. This was uh, the 11th edition of a spelling bee. So it was just two years ago where one of our sponsors just pulled out unceremoniously, just said, we don't think we have the money. And you wait till two weeks, the start of the program, right. you know? Right. And so I guess that was a blessing in disguise. It was a wake-up call. If you continue to depend on sponsors one day, you'll wake up. And mm -hmm. if you have to leave the country, what do you do? So we came up with a more sustainable model where it is a fee-paying program. So you pay to get a service. So we're hiring teachers who... Some of them have 25 years experience, 30 years experience. Yes, they were volunteering, but they needed money to move them from point A to point B. Yeah. They needed yeah. to be fed. They were not salaried on yeah. what we were doing. So the model now is a bit more self-sustaining and has seen us through going into our third uh, edition. People have said that if you're a foundation, you know, you should be finding money and getting sponsorship so no child pays. Uh, and we're saying that even if you look into the charity space globally now, you're getting more funding from organizations that demand that there should be a level of investment exactly. from the beneficiary. Exactly. Anything that's free has no value. Exactly. And we actually saw that. We lived that experience. Look, we had companies sponsoring schools in the Volta region. They gave good money. We went selected the schools with a local GES. The day of training came. Not one teacher turned up. If the person pays, they are committed. Exactly. And then, therefore, you know that they will go all the way. Exactly. So we realized that the, the earlier model wasn't working, and we introduced this model. And we've lost some people, and we know that eventually they may come back, but we will work with what we have. The follow-on question tends to be, so how about those who can't afford it? So we work with marginalized communities, but we work with one at a time. Seven years ago, we were working with a school for the blind, for example. Um, we believe in inclusion as well. We believe that every child, regardless of their seeming disability, is capable of mm. learning. Give 
given the necessary aids. Mm. And so we work with school of the blind. They can hear. They can yeah. talk. Yeah. They just can't see. So we had to braille their documents for them, for example. Mm. And we did that for five years, and now we've moved on to the school for the deaf. Mm. They can't hear, but they sign. They communicate so we can work with them. And so we're working with them as well. So it's definitely not for profit. We need to be able to sustain ourselves. The salient question you asked, have we ever been able to cover our expenses 100%? No. The most we've done in the last three years is to cover about 70% okay. of our budgets. So we're always in a deficit the year, in the next year. Yes. And, and let me be sound Ghanaian, but God sees us through. <laughs> <laughs> so Yuji, another thing we know you do is to run the Young Educators Foundation, mm-hmm. right, which is your NGO, yeah. which we would say was influenced by the script Spelling Bee. Very much. Right? Yeah. Very so just much. give us a bit more detail about the foundation. What- so basically the foundation is all about promoting literacy okay. and education. When we say education, we focus on outside classroom education. So the application of the principles you've learned in classroom in real life. So the foundation runs programs to this effect. So the spelling bee is one. Then we have the young debaters. So it's a public speaking competition for secondary school students. The winner in Ghana goes on to the UK to represent Ghana. The closest we've come to winning is being second runner up. Oh, and interesting. That, was, that yeah. was in 2011 by Caleb Kuda, who now works at City FM. Then we also have a, a spelling competition in French <laughs> called Epelli. And it's basically meant to encourage our children to speak the French language more. We all wrote French as a basic in yeah. primary school, yeah. but we can't speak it convincingly. And I believe it's because of how it's taught. French is taught using English language. I'm not sure how that works in any other part of the world. Yeah. It's only in Ghana that we can teach a language using another. And so obviously it affects our confidence in speaking it. So we use that program to again build the vocabulary and public speaking and confidence and whatever you not. We also have another program called Science and Technology Fair, which is really meant to unearth young people who've come up with, you know, talents or come up with creative solutions to local challenges. Mm. But that hasn't been quite popular because of how our secondary school calendar runs. So that's been on the back burner for a while. But basically, our focus is to just make it fun to learn outside of the classroom. And you've been running this for how long as well? So Young Educators Foundation is nine years this year. Obviously, the spelling bee is older than it. We started the spelling bee before we set up the foundation. And it's been fun. It's been enlightening. And it's also been a mouthpiece for all kinds of learning that happen outside of the classroom. Yeah. So I guess evidence of your work has caught the attention of many. We realize you've actually been nominated and received loads of awards ranging from the U.S. Embassy's Ghana's representative at the International Visitors Leadership Program 2010, Blisco Ambassador yeah. 2014 as well, yeah. finalist in 2015 Africa Awards for Entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. BBC's African Woman You Need to Know in 2017, Letter of Recognition by the President, and it was said that for 12 years of dedicating and committing yourself to the education of the nation's children through your work at the Young Educators Foundation. Also nominated for 2015 Africa Awards for Entrepreneurship in the category of Social Enterprise of the Year. Yeah. Like these are massive titles and very well deserved. How do they make you feel? They make me feel that I'm on the right track because it can be a bit lonely on this journey. More so where I'm a woman and I am running a charity that is local. I'm running programs that have similar counterparts with, say, the UN. 
Plan Ghana. Mm -hmm. These mm -hmm. are international agencies. Mm -hmm. And here is just little me, one woman who's running similar programs. Because for all NGOs, it's about creating programs that will have an impact yeah. in people's lives. And it's the same thing that I'm doing. And so it is really an honor. And I'm not just being cliche about it. It's really an honor to get noticed for the kind of work that I do. If for nothing at all, it boosts me. And I've got to be honest with you, all these awards have come at times when I've been doubting myself. Like, is it really worth it? Yeah, because yeah. I've, another thing I didn't mention earlier on is that, look, I've sold my properties to get the programs to stay afloat. I've tapped into my life savings just because I believe in what I'm doing. And so there are times when reality slaps me in the face and I go, wow, I really don't have anything you know, to fall back yeah, on, yeah, except yeah. for my name and the programs that I run. And so I got both of them very jealously. So they do really boost my confidence and my energy levels and, and spare me on. What would you say has been your greatest achievement? So my greatest achievement, I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. I've got to be honest <laughs> with you. But what would I want to be my greatest achievement? That every school going child will have access to every one of the programs that we, we run at Young Educators Foundation. Not because we think it's the best in, in the country, but because we've seen how it's transformed children's lives. So long as we continue to define education by what happens in the classroom, we will continue to need programs like the Spelling Bee, the Young Debaters, to give our young ones a platform to showcase what they are capable and made of. And for me, until it becomes a tradition like how uh, script spelling in the U.S. is a tradition. Every child goes through it. Whether whether you plan it or not, you will experience mm. it. That, for me, will be my greatest achievement. How would you say all of this has influenced you being a mother to your own child? Does she watch TV? Yes, she does. <laughs> of course she does. Okay. She does, and I try not to say things like, when I was your age, I didn't get to watch TV, you know. <laughs> you sound like a naggy mother. Yeah. Um, and I do know that in their era, things are different. So, for example, I watch cooking shows with her. Okay. Um, because it builds your vocabulary. Anything I watch with her, okay. I make sure that it's stuff that will build her vocabulary and just broaden her knowledge base. But obviously on her own, she watches what seven-year-olds should watch. Yeah. I'm experiencing a lot of children and I'm learning from them, hearing them. So I'm able to connect with her on that level yeah. where I mean, seven-year-olds have been exposed to the concept of intimacy. And so we are having conversations about body parts and why it's inappropriate to want to show it to anybody. Because I'm hearing these conversations in my spelling bee class. We're talking about words and we're talking about suffixes. So suffixes are a group of letters that end, come at the end of a word. Mm. So age, A-G-E. So again, suffixes are not words. They're a group of letters. So A-G-E, age. Mm. So we spoke about marriage when you think of marriage as an adult or as anybody when you hear marriage is about a man and a woman coming yeah. together but yeah marriage could also be the marriage of documents you're just joining marriage is about joining so i throw the word in the class say marriage and well, a boy raises up his hand and says that's when mommy and daddy go into the room and do this <laughs> that's the understanding of marriage wow. so i'm teaching six and seven year olds and we are having these conversations so you're realizing that they are they are more exposed than we will give them yeah, yeah. way back then. And so your question actually takes me back to what I realized later on about my parents not wanting us to watch TV. Was there inappropriate conversations for them? They considered inappropriate right. conversations that we had on TV where they were considered adults. But for my seven-year-old, for example, I could be watching a movie and intimacy could be going on. I don't react. I just say, this is a bit too heavy for you. You really shouldn't be watching this. I think 
you should excuse me i'm watching you i'm watching with your father when we want to watch something else we can switch over i think that when you kind of have that attitude it doesn't become this thing where they are all curious about and want to know. And then when you hear someone talk about it as a child, because you have been exposed to it, you know how to talk about right. it. And so I've got to be honest with you, the Spelling Bee has been such a resource for me in even my, my personal being of just being a person how it's taught me to be patient. You're working with children. <laughs> You're working with children. Yeah. Six to 13-year-olds. <laughs> In hordes of 20s, 50s, then you get to hundreds right. and thousands and 7,000 right. across the country. Different temperaments, different um, attitudes, behaviors. But you learn how to work with them and you realize that children at the heart of it just want to be happy. Mm-hmm. They really just want to, that's all they want. They want to be happy. They want happy spaces. They want to try things for themselves and get it wrong or right, whichever way it goes, but they tried for themselves. And I, I must say that this program has really helped me in maturing. I've always loved working with children, but it's taught me how to work with them better. All right. So on Africa's Business Rockstars, we have what we call the Rockstars quote. Okay. And that's basically anything at all that spurs you on. Right. So what is your rock star quote? It would be that children are not our future. They are the present. They are the present. <laughs> and so we must live with them in the present. Sure. That, that has always been my thing. Thank you so much, Eugenia. Thanks so for much for talking to us me. on Africa's Business Rockstars. You've been listening to our podcast with the brain behind Ghana's participation in the script Spelling Bee, Eugenia Tachimensen. She's also the creator and founder of the Young Educators Foundation. As she rightly said, she believes children are not the future, they are the present. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to follow us on our social media handles, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Africa's Business Rockstars. My name is Nefa, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Goodbye.